0: I was pleased to see you smile at
1: the top of our show, because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there.
2: I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, we were this close to our first really fun Lakers weekend of basketball in quite some time. But alas, uh, fourth quarter run, Lakers started letting go of the rope a little bit at the end of the third. Fourth quarter run uh by Washington. Chris Stapps, Porzingis goes nuts. And the Lakers end up splitting this weekend. Mike, we were chatting the thread about, you know, hey, what are we going to talk about? And you were like, and we had seven really good quarters over the course of this weekend. And I think that we should talk about that. And I had been already thinking, you know, on on Monday's pod, like, That's going to be titled seven quarters because we got, we did, we got seven quarters of good basketball that at least were intriguing. Now in the first game, Carmelo Anthony and Taylor Horton Tucker did not play. And I do think that that's informative in how things went. And I think we'll be part of the conversation, but I'm curious, what did you see from the games this weekend?
3: Well, the thing that stuck out, I think, for that was consistent about those first two games was that LeBron and Russ were pretty focused and pretty steady, you know, throughout that period. And, And that was kind of the baseline, I thought, for the rest of the team, which allowed some of the role players to step in and do positive things. And guys like that included, you know, Austin Reeves and Malik Monk. Stanley had some real pockets of course when when Gabriel went nuts in the Toronto game but you know the collective the collective letting go of the rope as you mentioned it happened when LeBron went out with about 2 minutes left in that Washington game and you know this is where this is where I I there's part of me that can understand looking at the roster why that happened and then there's part of you that just thinks oh had they been able to hold on to that would they have been able to better sustain some of that play and I don't know the answer that's what I'm curious to see what you guys think but I I ultimately will probably side of the side of no that this is just part of who they are it's part of who they've been all season and even though they tried to capture or they almost captured a little bit more of a of a steady rhythm that could have gone on that you know the the faults in the whether it's the roster or just the the personnel end up playing out there but I, I'm still opening up the hope that Anthony Davis comes back, and then you get that kind of play from LeBron and Westbrook, and you have sort of a stalwart that can that, that can raise that collective tide when it would slip at times just by having that additional talent on the, on the floor. So that would be the Darius kind of the X factor that would take them over the top of that and into you know be, becoming more of a steady team. But I, I suppose I'm not expecting that they should have been able to do it. And through all four quarters on Sunday, uh, based on what we've seen all season. Or was that Saturday? Yeah, that would have been whatever day they were in Washington. Saturday. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Mike is showing
1: the wear and tear of a road trip right now. Like, I remember there was a story a couple of years ago that got posted at, at ESPN, Mike. And they talked about how when you're in the doldrums of an NBA season that, like, players forget, like, what city they're in or what day of the week it is or what time it is because they've changed time zones too often that they end up going to a hotel room in a hotel that was their hotel number from maybe two cities ago rather than the one that they're actually assigned to this
3: season. And so I had to FaceTime Billy Mack in the hallway uh, in Toronto and ask him what floor we were on the other day. (laughs) And, Here's the thing. I actually was at my correct room, but the room keys for several of us had stopped working. Uh, so I, I just figured, well, hold on. Wait, is it the ninth floor? And then I called him and, and he could hear me because he's across the hall. So he just came out. He was like, what? Anyway, just a, just a, that, that happened already.
2: Tales from the <laughs> road, Mike. Always love those. Yes. Even if
1: it's just a small note. It's interesting, man. I've looked at this whole season through the context of what's forgivable and what's not what's understandable and what's not. And the bar for that constantly moves based off the fact of what this team has shown us, I guess how irritated I am, and what is their nature, and what would it be like in a regular season versus it not being a regular season, right? Based off of COVID and all of the injuries that the team has faced and sort of expectations versus reality. So part of my feeling at the end of the Wizards game was that sucked, right? LeBron, right? He reached a giant milestone in that game. And I would have loved to have won that game just so that everything would have been positive around that night. Now, LeBron's going to celebrate regardless. It's an amazing achievement. And like that stands on its own. Would have been great to have that backed by a win. The flip side of it was they had just played one of their best games in, what, six weeks, maybe? Like since the All-Star break, the night before, it was an overtime game, so it was even more minutes. And now they're in Washington, they're in control. And a part of me is just like, in any other season, it would be totally forgivable
0: Mm, for this team mm -hmm. to like
1: lose this game. Just the second night of a back-to-back down as many guys as they are, everything else, right? And so a part of me is super forgiving around that. And then there's a part of me that's just like, these dudes did the exact thing that they they had done so many times during the season before. And so it makes you less sympathetic towards their plight of it being the second night of a back-to-back. They had played an overnight or an overtime game just the night before, and they should be tired. They should be mentally taxed. They should be physically worn down. And when you get in those head spaces and and those physical spaces, mistakes do mount. Like your effort does wane and it is easier to lose. But that's sort of the push and pull of that sort of game for me. I am much more push in that. Nah, man, like y'all needed to do what you needed to do in this game. And one of the things I was... So I want to preface this first with, like, super praise for Russell Westbrook. Like, they don't win the game in Toronto without Russ. Obviously, he got the steal and hit the shot that forced overtime. Now, there were mistakes that he might have made throughout the game that made it so that the point was that they had to come up with a last-second he was pretty good against Toronto
0: overall, yeah. But
1: he was great, I thought. I thought he was great. Against the Wizards, I thought he was really good again. I also thought that when LeBron and, – and, and so I don't want to, like, heap a bunch of, like, fault on Russ here. What I will say, though, is that the stretch that you described, Pete, the stretch towards the end of the third quarter and, like, the start of the fourth quarter, those minutes when LeBron was out, I thought what they needed was an even more focused Russ and even more, like, deliberate and, like, I'm taking the reins sort of player. and instead. He got loose with it in ways that I think are indicative of this type of player that he is. And and so while I don't blame the loss on on him, I thought he needed to be the steady one because he was the guy who was on the court. And yes, I thought THT was bad. I thought all of these other things went poorly. Right. But what I really wanted was for Russ to to sort of step up there and steer the ship in the way that he had for many of the other minutes that he was in the game against the Wizards. And and, and so how do you see all of that? Like the Russ piece and then the LeBron piece and, and then everything that I was talking about, just take it away.
2: So you were talking earlier about the nature of this Lakers team. And I think that every team establishes a personality and one of the, I think, truths that have been revealed about this team's personality is they don't want to play serious basketball for any longer than they have to. And whether or not they're going to play serious basketball is heavily determined by their respect level for the opponent. So Toronto came in a week or 10 days ago and whooped us at home. It was like 30 to 6. It was, it was just, it was ugly early. And we beat the Wizards by contrast in that same range and so we see these same teams in a back-to-back and from the outset of that Toronto game there is a certain degree of like what do you expect from these guys the roster isn't very good we're relying on these you know two-way contract guys vet minimums guys who were on the street who, who weren't signed with the team in the middle of the season And my answer to that is the Toronto game. I expected the Toronto game, meaning that Toronto plays serious basketball. They are going to close out and rotate. And when I talk about playing good basketball, I separate the action on the floor versus whether or not you made the shot. And so in Toronto and in the better parts, especially of the Washington game, although their zone gave us problems, it was some of the best drive and kick basketball that we played all season. And so it was like do you drive, kick, relocate to the proper spot. Just do the things that every player in the NBA is capable of doing and get deeper into the sequence of offensive progressions. But and and so we did that against a Toronto team that we knew was taller than us that went over the top of us a ton just like Porzingis did in the Washington game, but Russ, for example, got a lot of tap out rebounds. That's one of the things when you're small, right and in those end of third quarter groups d that we need a rebound right when Carmelo anthony is at the at the five, we need to be able to get the ball, and that's something that russell Westbrook I don't expect him to dominate with his jump shot, but you know get your nose in there and and tap some some rebounds out and again, I thought Russ was good for the most part in both games but Our personality of our team is we fundamentally don't want to play serious basketball. And so when we play a team like Washington that has not been playing serious basketball for quite some time either, there becomes this sort of gentleman's agreement that I see. And let's go to break and we'll come back. I want to hear your your guys' thoughts on this because I think that we kind of get seduced into our natural state. So that's what I saw in that game, Mike. I thought that there was a great carryover from the Toronto game, and we're up 15 as we should be when another team is playing kind of not very serious basketball. We're up, you know, 15 deep into that third quarter, and then that's when I thought we started trading baskets, and even a little bit before then. And Stu Lance was <laughs> still was beside himself with the like, you got to play 48 minutes of basketball, and so that. Gentlemen's agreement, I thought, kind of kept the game close. And then in that fourth quarter, there's a matchup that was there all along. That if Porzingis is able to hit shots over the top of guys at the middle of, fo- of the floor, there are a couple things we could have done, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of a checkmate moment. And that's exactly why you don't mess around for the rest of the game, because he that that's there at any given time. That's a danger that you face at any given time. So I, I thought that our our inability to sustain just what we had just been doing like it shows that it's not outside of our capability in terms of like actually being able to do it but it also showed our inability to do it when the other team is not does that make sense
3: yeah well this is where i think it merges in with what i to try to continue the point i was making earlier if when you have lebron locked in and focused as he's going to be most of the time uh and certainly in a moving forward right in a game like a play-in game or a playoff series so that's gonna that's gonna you know take care of your team pretty well when he's on the court for the most part when LeBron goes off the court and this is again at the end of the third quarter he passes it to Melo Melo hits a three Lakers go up by 14 Washington hits a three then you have Westbrook and THT on the floor and Westbrook and THT you know have not been consistent this year they've had They've each had pockets right, of success, and you just mentioned Russ played his best seven quarters, I thought, in a long time. Uh, THG didn't play in Toronto, and he really struggled in that Washington game. And, and those were the guys that had the ball in their hands, and you know, in that in that sequence in which Washington trims the lead from fourteen to six, they you know Westbrook has a turnover, THG misses a layup, you know, and and Washington scores on the other end quickly off of both of those plays. And then eventually, the play that really, that really hurt was a buzzer-beating three after they got two offensive rebounds, and the Lakers just couldn't clear a rebound. Well, that's partly because of their lack of size, right, and their lack of athleticism with that group. So those are, those are real. Those are things that have been consistent. That Westbrook and THG have been on the floor, and they haven't been able to sustain play at times. And this is where, though, again, if if Anthony Davis is healthy, he's on the court, or LeBron's still on the court because A.D. has taken on some of that play earlier. And there's still a question mark about A.D. returning and how he looks and how consistent he can be. But you know that you're going to at least get something. And Washington probably doesn't get two offensive rebounds, right, in that context if A.D.'s on the floor and then the rest of the players are slotted accordingly. So mm-hmm. I I just I think that that's what LeBron said as well after the game without naming any names. He's like, yeah, we we haven't been consistent all year. And that's why these moments happen. Because there isn't that foundation or that trust in whether it's a lineup or a certain group of personnel or a player that can handle those kind of gaps consistently, at least.
1: Look, was I starting to convince myself that this team could do something when I saw the way that Russell Westbrook <laughs> was playing and the way that LeBron was dialed in? And if the version of Anthony Davis, the one who got hurt this most recent time, that dude was playing. At a whole nother level.
2: He had like 17 in the first quarter of that Utah game he got hurt in. Bro,
1: beyond that, he was kicking everyone's ass. Oh, yeah. Like, did he have like an off night or two in that stretch? Yes, but like he saw Joel Embiid and he said, okay. And he had some 15 plus rebound nights. That's part of Embiid, right? is he can dominate in a bunch of ways, yeah. Like, talk about a handshake agreement. He came into some of these games like, yeah. The handshake is you think you're as good as me and I'm shaking back saying, yeah, not so fast, basically, like I'm going to meet you where you are. And so was I starting to convince myself like I sure as hell was right. And then some of the things that Mike says, though, they ring true, right? There are some lapses within the guard play that are hard to overcome. Like even Mike, you had mentioned that Monk had been playing well and He had hit some shots for sure. And I think that he has shown intermittent effort defensively, but he has not been playing a level of locked-in basketball that meets the level that, like, LeBron – like, I don't expect you to be as good as LeBron, but I want you to show as much focus as LeBron is showing when LeBron is taking the moment seriously, right? And and so if I – if I could count the number of times that I feel like I've seen LeBron throw side-eye at Malik Monk for like not basically picking up a role, man, or not coming down to hit the glass, give me a nickel for every single time, and I'd start to build a stock portfolio here. What I want from the guards, not named Austin Reeves... Right. And to a certain extent, on some occasions, not even named Avery Bradley, because I thought Bradley was doing at least a respectable job of being like, all right, well, at least let me go out here and compete in a certain way. Was he getting lost and making mistakes too? Sure. Making mistakes of commission are worse than ones of omission. And if your commission mistakes are like, well, I'm not trying, then like, no, I want you out of the game. As much of there is a go time, like this is it. Am I asking too much when I look at some of these guys and, and I'm just like, I want I want more from you in terms of like focus, not necessarily effort, but focus, because that's where I feel like some of it has been missing, particularly THC has been in and out of the lineup. He's dealing with an injury. I get it. But if you're in the game, like show me that you're in. The game, and a few times too many over the last week or so, I felt like some of the guards, especially, have
2: have been like, ah, uh, we can take it or leave it. I think that's symptomatic of just a broader force that's on the la- like. We've got a funk that's been we've been marinating in, in it for quite some time, and this is one of the ways that it manifests itself. I thought the absence of Tht and Mellow in the Toronto game was an interesting one-off, right? Like who knows how that looks in other games, but I think both players and Malik goes along these lines too in that. So we've talked so much about lineups this season, probably more than any other. And the biggest reason is because there's a great deal of sensitivity. We talk about the narrow path to the the best version of this team. And what that means is that there's a way to fall off on one side, and there's a way to fall off on the other. There's a way you can very easily put lineups with this group of personnel that are too small and can't get a rebound. It's very easy to put lineups where you don't have enough shooting on the floor. It's very easy to put lineups out there that have Carmelo Anthony at the five and no defensive support next to him. And so that is a a challenge, a great challenge for a coach to have. Whereas in like the title season, it was like, we could have Caruso in here, or we could have Danny Green or KCP or Kuz. And they're all kind of similar. Like They're going to play defense. They're going to hit some threes. They're not going to handle the ball much or create many shots. But if you have one or the other, It's not going to fundamentally change the overall five that you have on the floor in the same way that happens this season. And so both Talon and Mello on both sides of the court, I think, have been – for some reason, the term a record scratch comes to mind. This is more applicable to the offensive end where sometimes Talon gets the ball and him him not understanding his pass out reads or him not feeling comfortable in having his jumper makes – everything kind of stop in ways that it had been moving before. And then on the defensive end, Melo is so targeted that in conjunction with Monk, in conjunction with Austin, teams attack him trying to go through him, right? Now, he's obviously – he he wins enough of those battles to be our best plus minus guy. But in totality, there are so many times where you can fall off one way where it's like, Well, Melo can play the five sometimes, maybe, or at least in the front court next to a couple of other guys. But if it's Melo on the floor and Malik on the floor, there's a good chance you have too much of that on the floor at the same time. Let's take another break. When we come back, Mike, I want to talk about kind of that narrow path and some of the guys that we saw in that Toronto game versus the Wizards game. So we've talked a lot about winning Gabriel over the last couple of weeks. And again, he is a replacement caliber player. But I do think that his presence, he's one of those guys that Darius is talking about where he's going to be focused on the game. He's going to make mistakes. He reaches in. he, He had like three fouls in freaking five minutes the other day, right? those are those errors of commission where guy's trying, and Stanley is a guy like this as well, but it kind of speaks to that point, right? Like the guys that have succeeded or that really show a spark that helps the team overall are those types of guys. And I thought that the absence of THT and Mello in that game, it allowed for more, and it's not that THT doesn't, doesn't play this way defensively. But I thought that on both ends of the floor, we saw better spacing and also just kind of that motor and intensity on the defensive end that I think that we got about 10 games to learn from that and possibly make some uncomfortable role adjustments. So in
3: the Washington game, it's, I was thinking, it's a one thing, right? So TJ Augustine, remember in the Toronto game, came in and hit a couple of key shots. And he can be, I think, relied upon to hit shots. Like he's got a really nice release. He gets to the right point. He's pretty confident going up. And he played 18 minutes, which is more than I would have thought uh, when I remembered against Washington. But he only took three shots, and that's kind of part of where if if THT is going to you know be struggling like that. And and by the way, he's got an injured ankle. You know, so I know that he's coming back in these games, but it, it continues to plague him. It continues to bother him. So I think that that's something that we should at least acknowledge when talking about the times that he's struggling of late. But that it's just that can the Lakers at least maintain this level of focus, barring the guys that just aren't that haven't shown that they've done that in their careers consistently. And that's where we talk about the Malik Monk uh sure. example. And Gabriel, of course, we don't have a big enough sample size. He he's not gonna you can't rely on him in the play-in game to not, you know, have fouls like that, right? But for sure. But maybe he can give you something, and it's it's where I, again, now I'm going to directly kick this back to you and try and get an answer out of you as to whether or not you do think that Anthony Davis coming into this setup where at least it seems like now, we'll see what happens in Cleveland, but they're, they've are they gotten over some of that just completely in the dumps mentality right, where we saw it after a couple of games where they're just getting run out of the building. And they do seem to at least like that part has been paused For the most part. And if that's the case, then and they are building in through to this play in matchup, which, by the way, New Orleans has won two in a row and is now dead even in terms of wins and losses with the Lakers. But that's the big question that I'm now trying to find a a theoretical answer to uh, as they get down the stretch here.
1: So, yeah, I think Anthony Davis is going to help things. The. I mean, newsflash, right stabilizing things to a point. I think it needs to come in conjunction with a few other things here. Yeah, I do too. I'm just going to come right out and say it when you don't have mellow and you don't have THT, you lose offensive production and a certain type of offensive role. And you, you basically move the team back towards a model that looks much more like the title team. Mm -hmm. Now the players who replaced THT and mellow, they're not as good like Wenyan Gabriel's not as good as Carmelo Anthony he's not like and DJ Augustine isn't as good as Taylon Horton Tucker he's not right but the things the things those players are good at are much more narrow and that means that the ask of them becomes much more narrow and they are asked to do things to only do the things in which they're good at right And so the fact that Gabriel came up big against the Raptors was important, right? And his production was certainly needed. And I thought it provided a mental boost as much as like a boost on the scoreboard, because fundamentally it changed the shape of what the Lakers were doing offensively. And it made it so that, oh, now a guy has to close out and now a guy has to mark him and that opens up a driving lane here, right? But... To me, what was most important about Gabriel was that he was active and he was doing things defensively. And he, he got in foul trouble, but the guy that ended up replacing him was Stanley Johnson right and so it wasn't like they were turning to carmelo anthony stanley johnson basically is a different version of winning gabriel instead of a floor spacer he is a driving kick guy he is a passing reader right Mm -hmm. and so but you're basically getting the same type of dude you're getting a guy who's going to run around he's going to play defense he's going to go after rebounds on both sides sides of the floor and he's going to play within himself offensively gabriel is just like Open three, shoot it. Oh, closeout, attack the closeout. Oh, dive, try to finish around the basket. Thanks. He has three reads offensively. Meanwhile, THT is making 20 reads Mm -hmm. offensively. Mm -hmm. Carmelo Anthony is making like 15 reads because he's like, oh, small dude, post him. Like, oh, big dude, space out. Like, oh, ball fake. Let me go in here. Let me post up. Let me go to the offensive. Like there are so many things that Melo is capable of, and he still plays. He plays a narrower version of the version that made him a top seventy-five all-time player, right? Like he's still trying to cook and get after it. And so you remove those variables from from the team, and it's just like, okay, Melo, or I, I'm sorry, LeBron, Russ, you're our usage guys. Everyone else fall in line right and that's a model that works around two stars and it'll work around three stars as well right and the thing that you've replaced from the lineup like you've given up versatility and offensive ceiling but you've replaced it with motor and defensive attentiveness and like what do you think wins in this league pete like like i'm not trying to be a jerk here and single out mellow and and tht but they are duplicative within the context of what you most need offensively and i'm sorry if gabriel can hit 37 percent of his open three pointers and defend the way that he does he has
2: value he just does like i don't know what to say about this he he does but he is similar to all of our other vet men guys. And to, so to answer Mike's question, yes, but with the caveats of, I think every all of our vet minimum guys are going to be good in some circumstances and bad in others. And that neither THT nor Mello should have the firm and set place in the rotation at this point. Where, like, there's a, a certain political aspect to it, right? Where it's like, we say we get Anth- Anthony Davis back, Mike. There are going to be games where Wenyan Gabriel is the more appropriate stretch four or five guy than Carmelo Anthony is because you exactly what you need against that team is a guy who's a little more active on the boards, a little more athletic. Now, there are going to be times where Carmelo Anthony is absolutely the right choice over in Gabriel. But from a political standpoint, Being able at this point of the season, and I think this is where we are, is we got to put our best five on the floor as often as we can. We lost that game in particular with our bench groups. You look at the plus minus of those bench squads, right? And so that's a complicated thing, Mike, to to be like, yeah, Melo, you got to sit because when in Gabriel is cooking tonight and we need him in, in this game. But it may be exactly what we need to do. No, but Pete, that's that's what hurt the Lakers, even from the first game of the season
3: where they you know they felt like because for political reasons and what the roster Mm. was certain guys needed to play Mm -hmm. over other guys you know up to the point where those guys that just weren't playing well and weren't going to be able to but they had this certain stature in the league you know to sort of get those first couple cracks at it, and that's part of also the lack of consistency even before you bake the injuries in. So that starts the season. Then LeBron gets hurt for the first time, right? Then he comes back. Then AD gets hurt for the first time. Then so it's just been on and on and on and on. And I thought that you know Darius was really hitting on a point that that speaks to my my whole basketball philosophy of covering the NBA for all these years and while you were saying some of that stuff, Darius, it even made me think of my whole thing with smaller guards. And like one of the reasons why I have that thing with smaller guards and not being able to come through all the way in in big-time postseason series is because usually there's at least one bigger dominant wing, like a LeBron, right, like a KD, like a Kawhi, like a Kobe, one of those guys that are Durant that's going to have the ball in their hands on offense and can can absolutely make sure that your offense is going to get a good shot whether it's for himself or somebody else. And then on the other end, he can play defense. Whereas if you have one of those guys and then another max guy, that's a guard that can't necessarily help you as much. And I won't single anybody out for just now. There are a couple of players that come to mind on all <laughs> over the league, right? All over the league. Then that's basically a waste of resources because all LeBron needs is dudes to do their role and do it. Well, he needs guys to be in the right spots to shoot. He needs a couple – sure, he needs a secondary playmaker, but for the most part, he needs defenders, and he's got – like, I got it, guys. I got the whole game figured out for you here. You just got to – you got to do your job, be in the right place, and those are the types of things that – you're talking about the body language, and you can see when he's looking over at a guy, just, just you know, at this point of the season, doing <laughs> yeah. the wrong thing over yeah. and over, it's maddening to him. And and I'm And I'm like – I don't want to get into a whole discussion of leadership, but – is showing that guy up on the court, you know, going to make a difference? But I, th- it's to the point, I think, where he knows it's not going to make a difference either way. Like it, whether it's, it's positive leadership or it's negative, neither one of those ways is going to get certain guys to make the right play because they're just not capable of it at this point in their careers to do it consistently is consistently enough. And I think that's maddening uh, for somebody of, of LeBron's stature. So, Pete, I want to kick it back to you in terms of the
1: choices then. A thing that we have not discussed a fair amount in the last couple of weeks is, like, Vogel's pretty much figured out his team
2: now. Yeah. It he took a while, but...
1: It took it took longer than... Look, it, look. I know <laughs> you're thinking, like, who are you telling? Right? But it took longer than any of us would have liked. But, 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 but Acknowledge the politics in that, though. It, like, I think that he's Mike, had I've it figured talking, out. I've been yeah, talking about that stuff. I've been talking about that stuff all season. Please,
2: Pete, j- j- yeah, jump in yeah. here. So, Sorry, the, the politics thing, I, this is worthy, I think, of a longer discussion, Discussion, and I don't want to take this in too far of a different direction. But there are some times where trying to accommodate everybody actually just ends up pissing everyone off. Yeah. Like, you have to choose. and And there has to be some degree of like, yo, you're not playing well. Like, I know what your name is, but this guy who – It's playing better than you are. Like at some point that has to, and where that line is politically for everybody is different. And I think that there may have been some harm in the amount of, the amount of like time that it took to get off of, like the amount of time that certain guys had to prove themselves due to their reputation. I will say too, that Vogel won
1: by trusting in players who we all would have like thrown over the side of the boat several times during the championship season. And then when it came down to it, those guys came through for him in a way that rewarded his belief in them. And so I don't fault Vogel necessarily for having a certain Mm -hmm. feel for trusting his gut on certain things and sort of just like I know what I know and like I'm going to believe in this because I think it's going to pay me back in the end but this is the second season in a row now where it happened in the sun series too, where at the end of it all, like Dennis and Drummond and like those guys ended up being bystanders to the dudes who he really felt like, Oh, okay. Like I can't invest, like I can't wait any longer. Right. And there's a certain bit of that, that, probably is going to need to be on the horizon now if it's not already right in front of him, mm-hmm. right? In, in terms mm-hmm. of making some of the choices that, that need to, to be made. The, the problem is, is that Mello's been good for Frank. Mello has shown a commitment to things that are important. And so, like, I know I'm singling out Mello here, but it's just like,
2: in theory, Frank's going to continue to think he's one of my best guys. And if that's the case, and I think that he's correct to think that, and that it's not—I'm not saying Melo should be getting DNPCDs uh, or anything like that—but then it becomes a question of how can we support yes. him? Yes, yes, important right. in ways that he's hurting us in this area, and therefore we need Anthony uh, when, Davis. In,
3: right, is one is one yeah, way. That's a
2: nice way, right? <laughs> you know, for sure.
3: That, that, for, that, for real though, like that. If you he's got to be up there to clean up um, some of the stuff where Melo's going to be taking advantage of.
2: That's absolutely the case, but we keep losing games in the same part of the game, and it's the part where Anthony Davis wouldn't be on the floor. It's that wraparound from the first and third quarter to the second and fourth quarter, and that's the part of the game where we're like, you know, minus twelve, minus fifteen in those few minutes. D, and that's what ends up swinging the. And so, a lot of times, those are the mellow minutes, right? Or they are they are bench lineups that only have one star on the floor and don't have size. And so, I think it becomes more of a question of answering Mellow's defensive sensitivities. Like yeah. Mellow will need to play, but he will need these guys around him off of the bench. THT will need to play on offense, but maybe you need to be more careful about putting him next to Russell Westbrook or Stanley Johnson, or you end up falling off the path on the not enough spacing, but still small side of things. And so that, that's how it all adds up to me is it's more a part of the bigger alchemy of things than anything else. There were like three things we talked about today that I can't wait to get into a uh, greater degree. We got Cleveland tonight. We'll be back tomorrow to cover how it goes here on the Laker Film Room Podcast.
1: James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's and the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left.
3: That next for the winner. It. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for
0: this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get
3: MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding
0: me? Get... Are you kidding me?
3: Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol. Pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell.
0: There's the move. Two, one, miss it. the it. It's over, it's over. It's over. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yeah. And that was a little tap to Alvin Gentry.
3: putting together a closing corner against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon
2: hang in the rafters. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over one million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.